Welcome back to the Indiscriminate News Network. I'm your host, Jason St. Clair. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for listening and uh, for subscribing, following, sharing. I appreciate it very much. So I know I'm on a kind of an Asian syndicate crime spree here, but that's not going to stop. I actually found a pretty cool article from uh, the 17th of January, 1993, and it's called from uh, Japan's Crime Incorporated, the years of the bubble economy lured Japan's Yakuza gangs to muscle into big business. Terry McCartney in Tokyo explores their corporate web. One of the most shocking revelations to emerge from the most recent political scandal in Japan surrounding the Sagawa Trucking Company was that a Yakuza, or gangster syndicate, had played a significant role in the appointment of Noburu Takashita to the point of Prime Minister in 1987. Unable to silence harassment campaign by the far-right group against Mr. Takashita, his aides turned to the Inagawa Kai, Tokyo's largest Yakuza gang. Harassment stopped almost overnight. <laughs> An offer had been made that could not be refused. Make an offer that I cannot refuse. <laughs> you can't refuse. What Mr. Takashita was expected to give in turn remains a matter of speculation. Well, probably a lot. Yakuza gangs have a colorful image. Unlike criminal organizations in other parts of the world, the mafia, the Chinese triads, or the similar syndicates in European countries, do, they do not cloak themselves in secrecy, as we know. It's not illegal just to belong to a Yakuza gang. In fact, most members maintain offices with the gangs. They played outside put gangs name on personal calling cards. Not infrequently, they give interviews to journalists and sometimes hold prep conferences to air their grievances. Yakuza's gang immense power extends to the top of the political, political and corporate spheres. Yakuza wedding and funerals are highly regularly attended by the top executives and elected politicians. There's an unbroken line of communication between conservative members of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party and the extreme right-wing and national groups that are linked with anti-communist Yakuza syndicates. Many of these shady connections can be traced back to Japan's military expansion in the 1930s. Yakuza gangs can be totally ruthless. They have access to guns in a society largely free of firearms, and they are accountable for only to their bosses or their oyabun. The Japanese police keep a close track on the Yakuza activities. Police flies indicate that uh, police files indicate that there's 88,000 gangsters belonging to 3,200 gangs. Until recently, the police had left Yakuza organizations more or less alone, except when their operations threatened ordinary people. In fact, the gangs performed a welcome function in Japanese society, which hosts an informal checks and balance serve to keep everyone in their place. Traditionally, their province was prostitution and gambling, although both activities are illegal. The police recognized that they were impossible to stamp out and were satisfied that have Yakuza members keep peace in this potentially violent and lawless area. And although Yakuza gangs peddled soft drugs, particularly amphetamines, they had unspoken agreement with the police that they would use their influence on the streets to keep harder drugs, particularly heroin, out of Japan. Only when rival gangs engaged in shootouts on the streets, putting pedestrians at risk to stray bullets, did the police feel the need to step in and make arrests. Even today, a walk through Tokyo's largest red light district in Shinjuku will show that Yakuza groups at their work, at their old work, Young men with short haircuts and black suits lounge around street corners, pimping, soliciting, and generally overseeing the offloading of millions of pounds of slave, slavery men's money into the shady worlds of bars, massage parlors, and a variety of other pink saloons. Pink, not red, being the color associated with illicit sex in Japan. These young hoods frequently have characteristics 
uh, characteristic tattoos covering them from ankles to wrists to their necks and will sometimes be missing a little finger cut off in a traditional atonement for failing some duty. But this unofficial policing, profiteering role on the seamier side of Japanese life, once the mainstay of income for gangsters, have now become a little more than a pin money for the biggest syndicates. As the Japanese economy grew more powerful, the gangs began to look for ways to increase revenue. Increasingly, they spread their tentacles in legitimate businesses. All the time, they profited from their main advantage the ability to control people, particularly those in the lower reaches of society where no one else to turn to or compromised by heavy debts. During the 1960s and 70s, they made inroads into building industries with its fluid workforce. They tapped into distribution and transport networks. Long-distance lorry drivers, after many hours on the road, would often find themselves in Yakuza-controlled brothels in lonely towns far from home. The gangs would become loan sharks, forcing repayment with intimidation and sometimes violence. And using their contracts and buildings industry, they dabbled in their properties Again, using muscle or the threat of it to evict reluctant property owners to make way for valuable development projects. However, their involvement in Japan's economy remained a small-time stuff. The big leap came in the mid-1980s as a government decision to ease the money supply to allow easy credit generated to one of the most rapid economy expansions ever seen in the modern world. Fabulous riches were created during the years of the bubble economy. Stock and property prices rocketed. Banks and credit institutions were leading were lending money like water, and suddenly the world became a supermarket for Japanese buyers who picked up office buildings in New York, golf courses in California, hotels in Hawaii, and impressionist paintings in Sotheby's, seeming at a whim. From the beginning of 1985 to the end of 1989, when the Tokyo stock market reached its peak, the value of the shares in its first section of exchange increased by 435 billion yen. That's a, uh, wow, more than four times Britain's gross national product. GNP for 1989. Whoa, four times Britain's GNP in 1989. It was during this boom that the larger and more sophisticated Yakuza syndicates launched themselves in the mainstream business, stock and properties market, hotel and golf course development. Early 1985, Sushumu Ishii, the head of Inigawa Kai, the Japan's second largest Yakuza groups, established a gang's business activities bureau to report directly to him and oversee the trust into a lit legitimate businesses. Ishii set up the Hokushu Sangu Company, Sangyo Company, as his first shell company dealing with property. A few years, in a few years, he was a multimillionaire with Picassos and Chagalls on walls of his house, a private helicopter and a country club, and close links to two of Japan's four biggest security companies. Many other Yakuza gangs followed Ishii's example, and the police realized the era of the friendly hood was over. Mobs are organized today are not only posing a threat to public safety through gang disputes, they're also having a major impact on the country's econ economic system itself. Through active fundraising activities involving general public companies, said Ryochi Suzuki, the G director general of the National Police Agency, in a speech to the police chiefs last year after the exposure of a big Yakuza scandal involving the stock market. The era of the Keizai Yakuza economic Zekuza has arrived. In March last year, anti-gang law has passed, giving the police increased powers to crack down on Yakuza groups. One gang has been officially designated as a violent organization, either because of proven illegal activities such as extortion or because there are convicted criminals in its ranks. The police have far greater discretionary power to search offices and question individuals. The aim is to stop more explicit racketeering and intimidation tactics 
the, of the Yakuza organizations and force them back to the fringes of society. But critics of the new law fear will simply drive Yakuza members underground where they will safely continue to operate with the funds they have amassed. Others say the new law have come several years too late as the Yakuza syndicates were given plenty of time to diversify their business in the bubble years. In fact, it was only after the bubble burst after a long string of financial scandals began to emerge. Frequently, Yakuza connections that the police have begun to realize the scale of the problem on their hands. Woo! All right. The National Police Agency publicly estimated that the income of all Yakuza groups in Japan was in 1989 was 13 billion yen. I'm sorry, 1. Point, <laughs> woo, that's a big number. 1.3 trillion yen, but the real figure had <laughs> to be in around 10 times that amount depending on whom one talks to. Shenji Ishiba, a former member of Tokyo's Metropolitan Police with extensive experience in the Yakuza, says that until the police have powers to confiscate assets, they will not make any progress against economic Yakuza groups. Police tend to focus too much on who gets arrested and how many years they get. At the end of the day, it's all the same if they get their away with their huge sums of money. So I think I know what my next podcast can be to see if Japan is our um, we'll see if they pass the law since then they were able to confiscate the Yakuza, the economic Yakuza's money. Um, probably a really quick find, but I'll look into it and share it with everybody. All right, this is Jason with the Indiscriminate News Network. Thank you for listening. Make sure to hit that follow, subscribe button wherever you're listening. I appreciate you guys very, very much. Um, take care, and you'll hear from me soon. Bye.